This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. I, you know what, I never thought of that, but just trying to do my best and trying to help the team win. And obviously, it, you know, it's a tough, tough stretch for us right now, but, you know, we, we just need to figure it out and, you know, get on the same page and play the best. It's uh, really excited to be here and uh, it's uh, a dream to uh, play here in NHL. So uh, it's, this player here is much better and, uh, in uh, Syracuse and uh, yeah, the place and uh, it's very difficult to be. I think we are getting better each game, uh, especially in our D zone, you know, uh, we had to get used to the new system and uh, I think now we are doing a pretty good job when you stay tight in the, in the zone. and. When we had a chance, kill, uh, kill the place down, down low. Uh, it's always uh, better for our, better for us. Uh, we can break the puck much quicker and uh, go to the off. To be honest, it's a good vibe around the room. Is our record where we want it to be after 41? Uh, it's not, uh, but there's been a lot of good things that have happened for us, and uh, the the group, you know, they, they kind of walked around saying it's. You know the second half, and and you know it's one of these leagues where it's it's what have you done for me lately, league? And uh, nobody forgets your start if you have a great finish. And I think that's uh, a little bit of the attitude you guys have right now. That's a long-winded answer. How about that, John Cooper? Getting ready for the game tonight. Got a lot of feedback regarding our show yesterday, and we're here live with you, noon to one. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice, Lightning Dave Mission. Michigan, I should say, not Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Austin Watson has I knew uh, Austin meant. Wright. I caught him Austin Watson. I did Can that earlier it? in the year. We have yeah. two Austin W's affiliated with hey, the Lightning this year. Let's start that out. Austin Wright holding it down for us. We appreciate him. And Steve Ersnick, we won't forget him. because He's probably still Steve sleeping right or still celebrating. I don't know. Michigan. The champs. You know, I said his family was from there, but he, mm-hmm. he's from Cincinnati, which I understand yeah. is close to the border. Right. But when he gets back in town, I'm going to have to get to the bottom of so what you're saying this is affiliation with with the University of Michigan. He's right. I understand Cincinnati is close to the Michigan border, but what yeah. state is Cincinnati located in? Ohio. Ohio. Right. That's like oil and water, isn't it? I didn't think anyone who resided in the state of Ohio could root for the University of Michigan. How about anybody that grew up in Pittsburgh rooting for Cleveland? But apparently that's what Jack Michaels does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> so a fan guess. told us he actually didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He was like Pittsburgh Light. Say? I don't, I don't remember the Light. town. <laughs> it was somewhere outside of Pittsburgh on the way to Cleveland. Uh, that's Look, funny. maybe he likes the color brown more than the color you know, Black. That's fine. They're both gold. in the playoffs. They're both in the playoffs, not playing each friend. other. But glad for Steve, and yes. uh, that's been that's been coming a long time for him. He's excited, and I'm sure he's either streaking in the quad or just sleeping in one of those two. I'm sure he's having uh, a lot of fun. But we do have a game tonight. We're gonna we have a game kind tonight. of weather conditions though, right? Windy. My mm-hmm. kids are getting are off home right from now. School? So my both kids went to school. Yeah. But they're done at noon. Okay. So my wife is handling that right now. Well, thank you, Annie. Or else yeah. you'd be doing the show from the car. I know. I know. 
I mean, I guess I could have gone, right? But Austin would have had to call me, and yeah, I would have been distracted. And... Pasco County had the day off, I understand, but north of Hillsboro, essentially, yeah. I think that's where the the worst weather was projected yeah. to arrive. Correct. So we're, we're fighting those conditions. <laughs> Stay the safe, lightning. everyone. If you're driving yeah, around do. listening to us, either now at 12.04 or later in podcast form, be safe. We appreciate you listening mm -hmm. regardless. And a lot of people did last night. And we'll get to some feedback. But we know the Lightning partner, anytime they get on home ice, I think it's fair to say, looking at the record, they've been a, a different team. But I think it's it's imperative for them to start putting a few wins together. And if you have to do it on home ice to start, I think that would be preferable. But, you know, look, Pittsburgh won last night against Philadelphia. There's teams leapfrogging. Mm -hmm. Well, the that's going to happen. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the we Lightning talk about are going to be, jam. yeah, the Lightning are going to be sitting and watching as teams make up games in hand. And some of that's going to happen this month. But look, they entered that road trip, the Winnipeg, Minnesota, Boston road trip. And, and we said right from the get go, it was going to be a tough road trip based on the quality of the opposition. They were seeing two of the top teams in the NHL. And they also played in the building in which historically they have struggled. They won that game at Minnesota, but they lost the other two. I'm speaking as plainly and honestly as I, I can here, folks. And I understand I'm not, I'm not trying to disrespect any NHL team. The Lightning could lose to any NHL team. And they have lost. And they have. <laughs> and they have. They have lost a lot of games in regulation this year. This homestand is way different than the road trip. The Kings are a top team in the NHL, and they are the Lightning's opponent tonight, but they are currently on a five-game winless streak, their longest winless streak of the year. And you, know, you see this sometimes. I think we've seen it a little bit with Vegas. When a team gets off to a great start, and they really have built up enough of a point cushion that – qualifying for the playoffs while it's not secure is not really something that is keeping their coaching staff up at night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there is a tendency yeah. to maybe exhale at points in the season. You usually pull it back together. And look, in their five-game winless skid, they've, they've lost two in overtime. So they've gotten some points. And they have such a big lead over, let's say, the ninth seed in the West that Really, the concern for the Kings is just like, let's let's get our game to where it was earlier in the year. But they are in a little bit of a skid, whereas the Lightning were seeing Winnipeg that was rolling and is still rolling, and the Bruins really haven't slowed down all year. The Wild were in a little bit of a slump, and the Lightning extended that. So that's their opponent tonight. I'm not suggesting this is going to be an easy game, but they're probably seeing it far from an easy game. Just erase that word from your your memory in terms of thinking about this game as an easy game. The, the Kings are a great defensive team. We can get into why they have had such a good year, and it's primarily been related to how they have defended. But they are not seeing the Kings at a time when the Kings are rolling. That's my point. So that's the first game at the homestand. The Devils come in on Thursday. They are having massive injury problems. Jack Hughes is not practicing today. Pilat is out. Siegenthaler is out. Timo Meyer has been out. And they have struggled defensively this year. The Lightning have one of the weakest teams in terms of points in the NHL coming in on Saturday, Anaheim. And then they get four days off before they finish the homestand against the same Minnesota team that may be healthier by the time the teams meet 
a week from Thursday. But look, this is a homestand that is, it's lined up for the Lightning to try and cash in. Now they have to go out and do it. But this is a different stretch of games than what they saw at the start of 2024. That's kind of where I'm going, Greg. I don't know if you agree or not, but. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes it's when you face a team. Yeah. Right? Compared to anything else. And you're right about the Kings. Like, they're defending. But if you look at the numbers individually, it's kind of a a weird team. Like, I feel like a lot of veterans, especially their goaltending and, you know, their leading scorers, Kopitar is still a point-per-game guy, yeah. but he's older, you know. He hasn't have... slowed down, though. <laughs> no, he's still a really good player. Oh, my goodness, is he a terrific player. You know, he's one of those guys in the conversation with Bergeron, mm-hmm. I think, when yeah. – and even Crosby, probably, when you're throwing in guys who can who can do it all. I mean, Kopitar, he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes. He's got the cups. He's going to have yes. the numbers. He's been fantastic. But, like, Drew Doughty's still performing. But remember there was yep. talk about leading him Leading the NHL on. in average ice time. Now, he has always been up there. He's usually in the top, I would say, three to four. Now, he's had some years in which he's had injuries. But when he played – even in those years where he only played a portion of the season, when he played, his minutes were high. Yeah. And he's leading the NHL in average ice time again this year at, at over 26 minutes a game, which is impressive. He's 33, so he went in the same draft as Stamkos, 08. Kopitar is 36 right now. He's got an August birthday. So he is 36 through this, through this full season. And you look at his accolades, he is a two-time Selkie Trophy winner. He's a two-time Lady Bing winner. And then he won the Marc Messier Leadership Award in 21-22, which yeah. that, that's kind of off-ice stuff as well, like what you're doing in the room. But, I mean, that sums him up. He is a, he is a, a terrific all-around player who is extremely good defensively as a center. He's great on face-offs. And he plays a clean game. So you're right. It, it, the comparison with Bergeron is a good one. I think we have, we're kind of on the, the same page here. Crosby is in a little bit of a different category simply because his, his, offensive, his, yeah, his offensive game is at a different level than Bergeron and Kopitar. Who, I think Kopitar is actually more offensively gifted if that's the right word than Bergeron. Bergeron was yeah I was actually gonna but, say but actually Kopitar is not at the Crosby that. level yeah I no mean, no they're they're both I think a few notches down but I right. actually think if you were telling me Bergeron or Kopitar I actually think Kopitar's got more of the offensive flair I mean, this is a guy Dave that's I don't know if he's hit 100 points he's been no he hasn't well, but keep yeah, in mind the team weird. the team that he has played for, for sure. they've had different iterations but generally they've been a defense first team and that's again the case this year so had he been on a different team maybe his point totals would have been higher he's never eclipsed 40 goals he's been a three-time 30 goal scorer i'm looking at his numbers here he came into the league in 0607 so he came in as a a young pup he was 19 years old when he when he joined the Kings and he played basically that whole first season, seventy two games in 06-07. So he has been rock steady. He's never had a season that has been greatly affected by injury. I mean he's usually in if he's not in the eighties, he's in the seventies. 
the two exceptions were the two years where we had a shortened season. 12-13, the, the league played 48 games. Kopitar played 47. And then the 56-game season in 2021, he played all 56. So he has not only been a top player, he has been a point producer on a team that they're not they're not breaking the record books offensively even when they were winning cups and he has been extremely extraordinarily I'll use that word extraordinarily durable I mean I have to like run the numbers here but I would say based on his regular season numbers his games miss number and keep in mind he came into the league in 2006 his game's missed number is probably in the 40 to 45 range. And for the style of game he plays, that's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. I mean, Dowdy's kind of in that same boat. Dowdy's had more had, injury issues. But he yes. has, but I mean, for the most part, like up until basically 2021, 22, when he played 39. I mean, he was an 82-game guy. Yeah, I guess I'm remembering you that know? year. You're right. I mean, most years he's at 82. 19-20, played 67. We had we had some games missed when COVID arrived. Yeah, COVID hit that. So, there. really, so that it's was... that one year, 21-22. That's he impressive. missed more than half the season. Yeah. Playing 26 minutes his career. You know who else is on their team? I, I didn't realize the Trevor Lewis. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, like, he's 37. Yeah. Well, like you say, they have some older guys. Those are yeah. the older guys. And then Talbot has kind of been thrust into the main starters role. They they started the year with, with him and Phoenix Copley, who is – he's not young, but he's younger. But Copley had to have a surgery. He's out for the rest of the year. By the so way, it's did you Talbot's have, did you, net. No, and they've been good. And maybe this is one of those things, too, where it's the, the question – the question with the Kings for me is going to be, can you win with that type of goaltending? The goaltending has been good. It's probably more what they're doing in front. Exactly. To make the saves. I think Talbot but- is a good goalie. Talbot Talbot was hurt a lot last year in Ottawa. Remember, Ottawa had all of those problems yeah, with injuries, sure. and both of their goalies, Forsberg and Talbot, were injured. I feel like yeah. Talbot has been one of those guys where he arrives at a location, he thinks it's going to be his net, and then it ends up not being his net, right? Like, I think that kind of happened to him in Edmonton. Where else? He was with the Where? Rangers, wasn't he? he? Yeah, but he was behind Lundquist there. So right. was it Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. He was in Minnesota, and then Flurry arrived, right? Yeah. And he kind of got squeezed out a little bit. He only Maybe spent the one year in Ottawa. getting a chance, you know? Right. But his numbers, I mean, you look at his numbers the last several years. Like, once, once he got to Calgary in the 2019-2020 season, and then – two years in Minnesota, and then last year in Ottawa. Like, his goals against has been under three. He had The year last year in Ottawa, his save percentage was under nine. But the other years, he's been in the nine, the 9-10 range, 9-15, one year 9-19 with Calgary. So he's produced solid goaltending numbers. I think this is really the first opportunity that he has had where it seems like there's a clear path in front of him. I think he was the main guy in Minnesota until the Wild acquired Flurry, and then things became muddled. Yeah. And he only played one game in the playoffs that year after he'd been their main guy for, for much of the year. But now with Copley hurt, their backup is David Riddick, and Tobit has been doing very well. But you are right. The way the Kings defend, 
is very it, it, it's advantageous to be a goaltender yeah. playing behind a team that that plays defense like the Kings. And you know what's funny is teams like this. And you remember I've always said about and if people want to chime in they can't Apple it's radio the difference between regular season hockey and, and postseason hockey. In many ways if you play like the Kings do in the regular season where it's you're really defending hard and look we're going we're going to see them tonight and we'll get a a better feel for them mm-hmm. and where they are. I feel like your chances of winning in the regular season are pretty high or at least getting to the playoffs if you have some other complimentary pieces because I think it's hard to have that type of effort every game for an 82 game season. In the playoffs, Dave, we all acknowledge, I think there's a certain level of intensity and defensive style and play that even the teams who are average from that perspective kind of raise their level because it's the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Not everybody matches that type of work ethic intensity in the regular season for 82 games. So if your team that has to quote unquote work hard and defend defend i feel like you can you can have a pretty high success rate in the in the regular season where those teams struggle in my opinion over the years you've got the defense in place but you also are going to have to find some ways to score yeah do you have the game breakers and i think the kings maybe they do maybe they don't and that we were talking dave randorf and i were talking with jim fox their longtime tv analyst about the dubois trade and I asked him, I said, if it were up to you, would you go back and make that same trade? And we just saw Winnipeg. Winnipeg got some good, good players from L.A. in that trade. Velarde is going to be a top player in the NHL. Is he an all-star? I don't know that. But he is a prototypical power forward who can stand in front of the net and wreak havoc. He can score goals. He's got good hands. He tips pucks. And Alex Iafalo has been a very good NHL player for a number of years. So they said goodbye to both of those guys to get Dubois in. And Jim said, well, if it were up to me, yes, I would make that trade again. He said the reason the reason that they did it was they got younger, although Velarde's young. Iafalo is, is older than, than Dubois, but he plays in the middle. He's a big, strong guy who plays center, who has game-breaking ability. He's also very good defensively, and so to the extent that if you're going to have a guy like that, so who have they got in the middle now? They got Kopitar, they got Philip Deneau, and they got him. They're thinking about playoffs. They're thinking about how do they beat Edmonton, a team that has beaten them in each of the last two years, that is constructed way differently than L.A., but there's no shortage of offensive firepower in Edmonton. And I think that they are looking at what do we need to do to win a series, especially if we see Edmonton or any one of these other teams. And so, like you talk about a game-breaker. I think Dubois has, has high-end skill, but it was as much about they're really, really deep down the middle now, and that's an important position to be deep at when you when you enter the playoffs. And that's one element where, where it is maybe a little different between the regular season and the playoffs. I just want to put a postscript on Talbot. I, I was glancing over his last several years. 16-17 in Edmonton, he was the guy. He played 73 games. They made the playoffs that year. They won a round, and then they lost in the second round. He played every one of those games. 
that was really his only extended season of a ton of hockey and a lot of playoff hockey. But, I mean, what was that seven, eight years ago now, right? It was. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. The landing better be ready to work. Maybe that's how I'm looking at it, too. By the way, Pierre-Luc Dubois, third team already at age 25. I think he's hit 61 points a couple of times. I'm not sure that's the type of guy I'd make a move to kind of turn things around if I'm looking for offense. Well, they got him for the playoffs. So his regular season numbers on a team that has been one of the best teams in the NHL this year is less than spectacular. On a team that is just loaded with plus players, they have three players who are minus. One of them is Brant Clark, who is a, a, a blue-chip prospect defenseman who's played one game. It was their last game, although we understand he may not be in tonight. They may swap him out. He's a stud. Like, he is – he's a top-ten pick. They're really excited about him. He played in the minors last year. He played with the Kings last year against the Lightning, actually, a game in L.A., and he also played in the OHL and had a terrific World Junior Championship last year I'm talking about. This year, he's among the AHL leaders for points by defensemen. So he's played one game. He's minus one. They lost 4-3 to Washington. Give him a pass. The Of the other minus players, Kevin Fiala, who came from a different organization, right? He's played in Nashville. He's played in Minnesota. And Jim described him as a guy that they're trying to work with to take some of the risk out of his game. He's minus two, although he's produced 33 points in 36 games. And their worst minus is Dubois, minus seven. And, I mean, we're not talking about it. So when you say, well, the plus minus stat, you're right. Like, taken individually, sometimes it doesn't tell you as much. But when you see a number, either – a big plus or, or or a minus, whether it's a big minus or a moderate minus, that is so different than everybody else on the team, that does stand out. I mean, Kempe, plus 16. Kopitar, plus 15. Quentin Byfield, plus 14. Dowdy, plus 11. Mikey Anderson, defenseman, usually plays with Dowdy, plus 12. Vladislav Gavrikov, they got him last year at the deadline from Columbus, plus 10. Matt Roy, Right-handed defenseman, plus nine is plus nine. Blake Lazada, fourth-line center, kind of a spark plug type guy, plus seven, and then you see Dubois minus seven. That's striking, but I don't think these questions are going to be is. answered about the trade until they get into a playoff series. And I think that's it. Now look, the team they're playing tonight, the one we cover, we're finding out they have some questions, don't they? Oh, and yeah. I think. What are they? What's LA thinking about right now, coming into this game against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, they're thinking of snapping their five-game winless game. Yeah, probably. And they're probably going to say to themselves, "Look, we have a lot of respect for Tampa Bay. We know that these guys aren't too far removed from winning some cups. They've got elite goaltending. They've got stars up and down the lineup. And this is, I think, what you're going to hear. And curious, like that's what the other teams are talking about and thinking. Slow him down. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's. I'm curious what those meetings closed doors are, though. Are they looking at the Lightning and saying, look, hey, I, I think we can take advantage of them here. I think we can take it. Let's make sure we dump the puck to him on his side, on that defenseman. Curious how those things unfold. We'll never know. But I'm sure other teams are looking at the Lightning partner based off of what we've seen here so far. 
a little differently than in previous years, not minimizing what they can do to hurt you. We just said on any given night, Vasi could stonewall you. Kucherov could have a four-point night. The power play can be incredible. But we've seen more inconsistencies in the team's game this year, and I'm sure other teams are looking at that and saying, how can we exploit that? And the Kings, I'm sure, are looking at that tonight. So we heard a little bit from Cooper at the top of the show, but Austin recorded the whole interview, and you'll probably play that. I'm presuming you play the whole thing tonight during the pregame. But Coop was kind of talking about what do we need to do in the second half? And he said, we need to keep the puck out of our net more. Now, I'm not saying he listened to Power Lunch or has ever listened to Power Lunch, <laughs> has the time to listen to Power Lunch, but it just backs up, I think, what you and I have been talking about quite a bit, which is the the key to the Lightning's season, the key to their second half, the key to what we hope is going to be a big turnaround in the second half. And the quote that we did here was, if you have a good second half and you make the playoffs, nobody really remembers the first half or no one's talking about the first half. He's right about that. It's going to start with keeping the puck out of their net more. And he also, in the same press conference, mentioned patience. Like, we need to we need to have a little bit more patience to our game. And, and that was something that I know I mentioned relating to the Pasternak goal in Boston. Right. It's easier to be patient when you're not chasing. And the Lightning have been chasing a lot in the last 20 games or so. Are we an- anticipating any changes to the lineup tonight? Well, I think Chernak's going to be in. It sounded like he's going to be in. Of course, they sent down Jack Thompson. So you have one righty getting sent back down and and Chernak coming in. I don't know if the Lightning are going to go 11-7, and seven, but interestingly Lilleberg is here still I say interestingly because he's a lefty so if they go 12 and 6 you've got Perbix, Radish, Chernak and Myers as righties of the seven so either they go 12 and 6 and go with four righties which I think is unlikely they go 12 and 6 and Lilleberg gets another game, or they go twelve and seven, or I'm sorry, eleven and seven, and all the defensemen play. We'll see. They don't have Tanner Janot. He's going to be out week to week. So I would expect you've got Barry Boulay and Austin Watson. So if the Lightning decide to go twelve and six, they're both coming in. If I'm doing my math correct. And you typically are. Yeah, because you've got Janot from the last game. You're taking out Janot and Thompson, right? That is correct. So that leaves you with, with 10 forwards and six defensemen, but you've got Chernak coming back in. So you need two forwards to fill out the fill out the forward yeah. lineup if they decide to go with 12. And that'll be a big deal, getting a guy like that back. Yeah. I know he's been up and down this year, and at some point you've got to look at the, the body of work and say, he's somebody that will get to the level he wants to get. I think when Chernak, I'm stating the obvious, but when you really see it, when he's engaged physically, I, I think he's he's a much better defenseman. I think he has to find ways, partner, to get himself in that situation because he does provide a unique skill set mm-hmm. on the back end as somebody who is 
ready at any moment to defend a teammate, but can back it up with his physical style. And I just think he provides or can provide a little comfort to your goaltenders with players who are camping out in front. So I think that'll be a, a good sign if he can get back to where he's been previously, because I think that could be a good shot in the arm to that lightning back end. And I think really their team in general. Yeah, I agree. We'll kind of see how absolutely that, uh, plays out at Bolts Radio. Uh, Al says it's amazing that with all the talent on Tampa Bay, they are in the position they're in. Look at Boston and Florida. Yes, they're talented, but not any more than Tampa Bay. What is the X factor? Maybe it's not on the ice. I think it always comes down to the ice. Yeah. You know, now look, if if you want to, I've seen some conversation partner, and this is going to happen when you struggle. I've seen some conversation out there about, well, they gave up too much to get this player. They gave up too much to get that player. But that's kind of been the MO a little bit with Julian Brisois over the years. Yeah, that, he's very aggressive with draft picks. And it's paid off. Mm-hmm. Now, at some point, it he's going to miss on some of those hits because nobody is perfect. Julian Breezewad, to his credit, and his staff, I want to give credit to them as well, they identified other players and were willing to give up the assets they had, and they parlayed that into partner two Stanley Cups and playing in a third. That's, I think, you have to remove yourself emotionally. I think any franchise would look at that and say in today's sports, with all the parity today, would you take that run? And the other thing to keep in mind, and I'm not I'm not standing on a podium espousing the theory that draft picks are not valuable. Draft picks are valuable. Some draft picks are more valuable than others, right? A top five overall pick is is invariably going to be more valuable than a fifth round pick, let's say. But there are two things to keep in mind when in this instance, the Lightning have traded away draft picks. The odds that that pick is going to turn into an NHL player, and the Lightning didn't trade away any picks that are top five picks. And as we we mentioned on the show yesterday, this first-round pick that's part of the Hagel deal that's coming up this offseason is top ten protected. So if, if the situation actually ends up being that the Lightning do – fall into a slot where they have a top 10 pick they keep the pick but i think what what you're referencing is the Geno trade where they gave up five picks right they give a first a second a third a fourth and a fifth so of those five picks how many of those picks are going to turn into nhlers we don't know but i think julian has the data to see that okay the odds of a fourth round pick actually turning into a a player that will play for your NHL team is this percent. And and he felt that, now he didn't just trade a fourth-round pick, he traded five picks for Tanner Janot. But that's, that's part of the question to ask yourself as you're trying to assess the value of the picks the Lightning traded for this one player. The second part is, how crucial is it to our, our prospect pipeline to get all of our prospects through picks. And I'm just going to use the three guys that we have seen in the last two games on defense who have made their NHL debuts. And we don't know, like, are they going to have 
most of their pro career in the NHL? Are they going to be tweener guys? Are they going to be mostly in the minors? If they get to the NHL, how effective are they going to be? It's way too early to figure that out. But the reality is the Lightning have had three players on defense in the last two games who are young, who made their NHL debut, and only one of them was, was drafted by the Lightning, Jack Thompson. Carlisle was a college free agent, and Lilleberg was actually drafted by Arizona, but they got him as a free agent. So, as they say, there is more than one way to skin a cat, right? Like, if you get the number one overall pick and Connor McDavid is on the board, clearly that is a, a huge benefit to the team that gets him. Or Connor Bedard is on the board. You're going to take that player, that player, you're going you're gonna to certainly hope and figure that player is going to be a generational player, but most draft picks are not Connor McDavid or Connor Bedard. So what are the odds that the pick is actually going to turn into, let's, let's talk about Brandon Hagel. The picks that the Lightning sent to Chicago, and they have one more pick still to go to Chicago, what are the odds that those picks are going to turn into what Brandon Hagel is for the Lightning right now? And I'm asking not rhetorically. I'm, I'm asking honestly, like, think about it. I don't think anyone's quibbling with the trade the Lightning made to get Brandon Hagel based on what no. he's done for the Lightning. But Correct. the other part of the coin is the fact that the Lightning don't have those picks. Is that How much is that going to handicap them as far as finding players? There are other ways to get players besides the entry draft. And again, just to put a bow on this, I'm not, I'm not – advancing the argument that draft picks don't matter. They do matter, but they're just one avenue, probably the, the most straightforward avenue. But just like your scouts are scouting players eligible to enter the entry draft, they're also scouting players that have been overlooked or maybe have developed substantially since their draft year. Or players who were drafted who are not signing with that team, like Lilleberg, and, and they become free agents. But they're still at the beginning of their career. Correct. And we've seen it with Yanni Gord. We've seen it with Tyler Johnson. And it's not just the Lightning. I mean, there are other teams. Blake Lazad is a great example in L.A. Yeah. He played at St. Cloud State. He was a teammate of AC Mons. And I remember talking to Nick Pervix about Lazat last year because Pervix came in right after Lazat finished. But I think Lazat was only there two years, and then he joined the Kings. They signed him as a free agent. He has been a really, really impactful player for L.A. Undrafted. So just something to keep in mind when people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, the Lightning gave up all of these picks for this player and this player, in in my mind, not Dave Mishkin's mind, but the fans' mind, isn't worth it. Yeah. Well, how do you know what those picks are worth? How do you know what those picks would have turned into? You don't. No. And I, I think you also have to keep in mind when are you making these moves as an organization? The laning yes. are in a different spot. That was and your I point. Think, right. They were going for it. You and like when you're in that moment, you've gotta you've gotta go for it. There was um who uh was a Carolina's head coach, Doug Peterson, and he had a let go. Bill Peters? Is that who you're thinking of? Jacksonville. This is football. I'm making an oh. analogy. <laughs> Doug Peterson is the football coach for Yeah, he was with the Eagles, right? 
He was. And I'm then, probably, a, you know, I'm probably in a generation behind. No, I you're remember good. when he was with the Eagles. No, you're fine. And I think they had a disappointing loss at the end of the year. They had a chance to control their own destiny. I think he let go basically all of his defensive staff. But it, in the sound clip, he was basically saying, look, we're kind of in a win-now mode. Our, our, his comment was, our window is open, and we need to take advantage of it. Yes. And I think when you are put in that organization, in, into that situation as an organization, you have to identify if you are actually in that moment. Then you have to ask yourself, what resources do we have to be able to position ourselves as a front runner to win a championship. And sometimes those are questions that are hard to ask or answer in many ways, because you may think you're ready to compete, but maybe the division you're in suggests no, not right. yet. But I think for Julian Breezewell and the, in the organization collectively, and maybe you can say it, it started during that, quote-unquote, first run against Chicago in the Stanley Cup partner. And it lasted all the way up until now and, and hopefully beyond. And I think that's the right way to approach it. The Lightning were in a sweet spot where, you know, early on when they were winning a lot, they still had the cap in their favor and they weren't paying a ton out to their stars. And then once you you kind of go for it, you're going to spend up to the cap. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you know, at some point you've got to, you got to pay up, and paying up usually means you got to let people go. And you factor in the salary cap and, and where it's been the last couple of years, you can kind of see, you know, the perfect snowball effect a little bit as to why it's been maybe a little bit more of a struggle this year than in previous years. I think people are still surprised, though, from the outside and even like us from the inside. I mean, I mentioned right at the beginning of training camp, the people who were saying the Lightning were going to take a step back this year, I disagreed with that take based on the players that were still on the roster and some of the players they brought in. And through 41 games, I was wrong. I've been wrong. I would have I would have thought through 41 games they would have more points than 43, and they would be higher in the standings. So now they have to go out and prove it. But I think that when you look at their roster, there's no reason to believe that they can't do better, right? So even with I agree the departures, with you, even but does with, that change? Does that change? Does everybody's narrative change once you actually start to play? Well, yes, and and it can be a snowball in in either direction. I guess it's one direction down, right? But it can be a a good snowball or it can be a deflating snowball. I mean, the Lightning, all those years we said they are finding ways to win, which is kind of a backwards compliment sometimes. But I think the good teams win a lot on their own, and then the 50-50 games they find ways to win. I think the Lightning are, are finding ways to lose right now and that can be contagious they didn't maybe feel this way you know in the first you know handful of games i was gonna say the second game was a pretty bad game so i don't want to say the first handful of games where they got they got sliced and diced in detroit and they gave up all those odd man rushes but their frame of mind right now where they've been through 41 games and they've had all of these these outcomes that have not gone their way can weigh on you more so than if you're in the first 
10-game segment of the regular season, I think. Greg, before we, before we get to more questions, I did want to mention the Lightning put out a press release today because Alumni Weekend is in early March. That will culminate, of course, with Dave Anderchuk and Brad Richards joining the Lightning Hall of Fame. So there's an induction ceremony on Friday, March 8th at 8 p.m. And the Alumni Pickleball Classic on March 9th at 9 a.m. That's taking place at the new Tampa Pickleball Crew Facility in Ybor City. Full disclosure, I have joined, my wife and I have joined the Tampa Pickleball Crew Do you play pickleball, partner? Well, now I do. (laughs) We've played a couple of times. It's a lot of fun. But I know the facility. It's right on or right off Highway 60. And it's a very nice facility, and I guess the Lightning know about it, too. It just opened. So the alumni that are in town are going to be putting on, like, a pickleball tournament. And fans can come out and watch. So I'm sure if You're you go a tennis to guy, though, too, right? I, so you I, probably I play find... tennis. Yeah, I don't play yeah. tennis as much anymore. And, and Austin yeah. was asking me about pickleball. Julian Breezeball and Matthew Darsh are avid pickleball players. I've heard that as much. So pickleball, I would describe it. Is almost a combination of or where the intersection of tennis and ping pong. <laughs> so you're not running as much as in tennis, but you're running more than in ping pong. <laughs> and a lot of times it's it's doubles. So the court is smaller and the rules are a little bit different. But singles the idea is pickleball the same. is extremely fun. It's a lot different. You than played doubles. it. I do. Yeah. Um, well, I don't play it as much. You now buried the lead there, my friend. You're asking Life me. gets in the way. Yeah. Um, but like we have um, some guys in our neighborhood that got me in it, and I'm I've always been a tennis guy. Like I played. If I didn't play, if I didn't play, hadn't played baseball and basketball in high school, I would have played tennis. Mm-hmm. Like I, my my grandfather played in college. We took lessons. I, I played all the time in the summertime. I mean, it was. And to the point, like, U.S. Open was must-watch. Yeah. That type of intensity. Like, I, I, I loved it. And you never lose it either. No. It's, a, it's such a fun game. And I always say, you know, people who want to just go hit and they, then they want to play, I always just say, find somebody that you can, that you can hit with for an hour. Mm-hmm. That's how you get better. And you get a great workout doing it. But single pickleball is a lot different than doubles, yes. obviously. I've played doubles. <laughs> I don't like doubles, but I, that's basically all you can play. Because I like running around, passing shots, being mm-hmm. creative. Double, it's basically you're at the net, or what they call what, in the kitchen. Yes. And you basically have to keep that ball low if you keep it high. I mean, you could be playing with somebody who's 250 pounds and 5'2 that can just slug it around, but they're not moving that much. <laughs> like, I feel it, it limits. If you have athleticism, it can limit you a little bit in doubles because you're just – once you get in that kitchen, if you make a yeah. mistake and that ball is elevated, you've got guys who just pound it. Right, and and it's you a know? volleying. It becomes more it of is. a volleying game. But I, Which is I, fine. I do want to mention that it's not only Lightning alumni and team officials who are going to be involved in the pickleball. I don't know if I want to call it a tournament or a round robin. It's a minimum of six timed games. But fans can join. A limited number of participants will have the opportunity to play alongside Bolts alumni including members of the 2004 Stanley Cup team. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so you can check it out and, and put your hat in the in the ring, so to speak, and see if, yep. see if you have a chance to, to play. For sure. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Last year they did the Top Golf. I remember that. 
as kind of the event. Mm-hmm. But players, former players, alumni, they like doing stuff that's active. So Top Golf is active, but I think the pickleball will be more active. Even acknowledging so that too. it's probably going to be a double situation. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, Thomas says in the first 20 games, Stamkos had nine goals, 14 assists. Since then, he's only tallied seven, four in one game, and only eight assists. He seems to fall off the stat sheeting games. Is Stamkos in a slump right now? Well, his point total has been just fine this year. Yeah. He's had an up and down year, I would say, in all three zones. Would you say he's been like the team? Up That's fair. But the power I mean, play has been very good, and Stamkos has been a part of that. I think I think for Stammer Thomas and to our audience officially, and, and just to throw out the conversation, I mean, just forget about the, the contract for a second. And I think the audience knows maybe where I stand for sure in terms of, like, what I would give him. You know, I, I've been on record as saying I think Steven Stamkos has shown me that he's still a productive player and what he's meant to the organization, that I'd still find a way to keep him. It's going to have to be at a reduced cost. I think that would be that would be my conversation. But I think outside of that, you have to ask yourself the question, what type of player is Steven Stamkos today and then the next couple of years? How many minutes per game mm-hmm. is appropriate for Steven Stamkos? Is he a second-line center? Is he a third-line center playing 14 to 15 minutes a night plus the power play? Is he playing on the wing predominantly? And maybe he's taking some face-offs here and there, but still in a top-six role. Probably won't find out the answer to that until maybe next year, in, in fairness. And maybe when the playoffs start, hopefully the Lightning make it, maybe we find out what his role will be in that type of environment. I think you're always going to have the power play option with him. I just think, partner, with the mileage he's put on, but also how productive he's been, I think you do have to ask yourself the question, how many minutes per game is Steven Stamkos at this point in his career? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair one to ask. Yeah. Well, look, he's he's at a point per game. So uh, there's no criticism there. There can't be. He is producing offensively. He does have the worst minus on the team right now. Minus 19. And again, relative to there are a lot of minuses on the Lightning. So he's not the only one. But the fact that his is the worst also does tell you that usually when the Lightning are allowing an empty net goal, Stamkos is out there more so than maybe some other guys. But I think that he has had an up and down year like the Lightning. The Lightning are are facing the number one penalty kill in the NHL, by the way, this year. So while their power play has been a strength, the penalty kill for the Kings has been a strength for L.A. Al also said that he wanted to let us know, great job, good points made by all yesterday. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Al. Although I don't really remember what points we made yesterday. I blacked out after yesterday. That's cool. Anthony says, is playing too deep in the crease. He's dropping too fast. It was obvious from the last season. I don't understand why Franz didn't address that. He needs to be more aggressive. Let's not blame that on the surgery. 
It was happening before JoJo needs to play more. So there is kind of the first, we need to see more of the backup. Well, look, Anthony, I'm no goalie expert. So you may feel confident making those proclamations. I am not. I don't know enough about the position to be able to diagnose why pucks are going in. I mean, he's been beaten on some long-range shots this year, maybe more so than in years past, although Toronto had incredible, and I say incredible because their percentage was was staggeringly high for conversion in the playoff series, scoring on long shots through screens that were like seeing-eye shots. He's had some of those this year. Is that because he's too – what did Anthony have? He's too deep in his net? I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. that. Yeah. I, that. I think that in general there's a lot that goes into the position and not every shot is beating him the same way. So I don't, I don't feel comfortable making a diagnosis. What I am comfortable saying, though, is that to – imply that somehow the lightning are just seeing these pucks go in and not trying to figure out a solution that is not the case i mean fran john is as dedicated uh, a a coach to trying to help his his goalies improve as as anyone i've ever seen and he leaves no stone unturned we've talked to him enough greg just talking to the guy he is he's like an encyclopedia of knowledge about the position he works with the goalies, if not every day, basically every time they're out on the ice. And I'm sure that he and Vassy are going over these these pucks that are getting getting past him and trying to come up with a solution. I think that's that's all fair. You will hear a lot of people who haven't played the position, and a lot of us haven't. When a goaltender is struggling, he is deep in his crease. You will hear a lot of that. Is there truth to that? I, I think there is. Have I noticed that trend with Vassy? I, I can't say I, I've been paying particular close attention to a partner. I think we'd probably have to go back and discuss what those goals look like mm -hmm. and kind of going from there. Thomas also threw out, with the goalie being a need position around the league, would it make sense to trade JJ to, say, Calgary or Edmonton for picks? He seems a waste to only play four or five games. Well, they have him under contract for another year. So it's not so much about what the Lightning might want to do. It's about what the receiving team might want to take on. I'm not suggesting you know who's also they, talking they about do that. But trading a goaltender, this is more in the media than anything, is Pittsburgh with one of their goaltenders. They have Nedeljkovic. To, to Edmonton. To, yeah, or Jari. Or Jari. To Edmonton, because we know Edmonton, like, I don't know if that's two and two partner and coming up with four, or if it's two and two and, and coming up with eight, right. because Edmonton needs, they've always been a team that's needed some goaltending help. And so people are going to look at the logical connections and say, okay, who has deep goaltending? Does it make sense to just send to Edmonton? Yeah. And if you send to Edmonton, what are you getting back? Yeah. I mean, look, I actually, if I'm going to go on the record here, I don't think they're they're going to trade Johansson, nor do I think they should trade Johansson. Yeah. The Lightning are at 41 games. I mean, I don't know if Julian is going to reach a point this year. I certainly hope that the Lightning are not at this point where he becomes a seller at the deadline, but we are, we are pretty far down the road from that point. 
I do too, and I, I I don't know if that's going to come from a goaltender position if he if they end up making a move. Right, and as it relates to, I think we had a couple of comments. I mean, well, we did today. Who was it that said Johansson needs to play more? And then this last fan said it was seems like Anthony? a waste. Yeah. Seems like a waste that he's not playing more. I maintain the way the schedule is is playing out, at least over the next few weeks. Vasilevsky is going to play most of the games. I mean, I see that back-to-back at Buffalo, at Detroit. Johansson's going to get one of those games. I'll just say this. I would be surprised if Johansson you gets any off? other game in January, let's say, up until the bye week. When we come out of the bye week, let's see let's see where things are at. And they, they come out of the bye week playing back-to-back I, I Rangers-Islanders. What would what would be the scenario outside of an injury where Johansson would play more? Just that they make a determination. This is kind of what we're hearing from the fans, that Vasilevsky needs a break. But, I, like, he had a break. He had a six-and-a-half-month break. Well, and it's it's your top dog needs to figure it out. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's kind of where I am with all of this. Is I, I understand it's about trying to get into the playoffs, but, folks, even if Johansson were to play the majority of the games and he's playing better than Vassi and you get into the playoffs, who's going to be your goaltender to start the playoffs? You actually think it's going to be Johansson? It's going to be Vassi. You may disagree with that. I I find it hard to think that. You ride your top dog, whether he's playing extremely well or whether he's a little bit off. Because, partner, when they're a little bit off, in those instances, there's always a strong chance that they find their game and they get back to a level that no other goaltender in the organization can get to. That's just how it is in sports. Yeah. Assuming you have a clear-cut number one, and I would think Vassie's resume, there aren't any questions. And and I feel I need to make this point again. And this is what I've this is what I've said about I've said this about Edmonton. I'm sure I've said this about other teams as well. And you just brought up the point. Edmonton might want a goalie. Like Edmonton's defensive issues are not solely at the feet or the skates of the goalie. That's fair. I saw Edmonton play yeah, twice fair. this year. They were a train wreck defensively. Yeah. In both games. So, yeah, you can point to the goalie and say, oh, the goalie should have had that one, or we needed a save and the goalie didn't give it to us. Look at the Kings. The Kings are one of the teams that we would say is the gold standard for how to defend. That's going to affect your goaltender's play. Now, has Vassy been at the level that we've become accustomed to seeing him at this year? I would say no. Are the Lightning where they're at defensively because of Vasilevsky? No. Are they 27th in the league defensively because of goaltending as a whole? No. Goaltending is part of it. Yeah, I would. I, think that's I, I thought he needed. I thought he needed to give them some saves in Boston, and probably the geeky goal is one that most times he stops. I mean, it wasn't a dribbler through his pads, right? It wasn't like a quote-unquote soft goal. But he's Andre Vasilevsky, and he normally stops. He normally stops that shot. He didn't. It was a big goal that went against the Lightning. But there have been other games in which Vasilevsky has basically done everything that has been asked of him, and I'm talking about this year. Yeah, this year. And then he's thrown sure. in a couple that he's stolen. Yeah. 
the game right. in Edmonton, for crying out loud. Yeah. 53 saves. Makes sense. So I mean, do not – it is so easy. And I don't think Lightning fans tend to do this because Vasilevsky has been the goalie. But for other teams that give up more goals than they would like, it is so easy to point at the guy who is the last line of defense and say, it's him. If we only found – if only we found somebody else – all of our problems would be solved. Wrong. With a capital W. This is a team game. The best defensive teams play good D in front of their goaltender. And the goaltender also pulls on the rope. Yep. I think that's fair. All right, my friend. We will be back at it again tomorrow. But we've got a game tonight, 630 Pre-game, seven puck drops, you and the Hall of Famer, and we'll uh, we'll get it going. We will I'll get it going. Tonight. Hopefully the Lightning yeah. get it going, too. We'll find out in a few hours. Austin Wright, not to be confused with Austin Watson, <laughs> was our broadcast assistant filling in for Steve Ersic, don't who look is at celebrating Austin, somewhere. Don't look at Austin Wright the wrong way. He might drop no. the gloves. He doesn't, Actually, he's not he doesn't wearing come gloves, off as somebody but... who's ready to go, but he's <laughs> he, he, he would break it up for sure. And uh, hopefully Steve Ersic is enjoying Michigan winning it all somewhere. And uh, Houston. That's, That's right. where they want it, right? That's right. Well, we don't know where Steve is now at this point. You know, he's probably on celebrate. He's probably en route back home. Is he's he listening to, to the here show tonight. Yeah, he is supposed to be here tonight. Yeah. So, he's listening to the show. Come on, and he's loving every minute of us <laughs> praising him. All right. We appreciate you guys for listening. I am Greg Lanelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lending Radio.